Welcome to Radical Rocks. Today we've got a very exciting episode. We've got topics all over the map, guys. On the first part of the journey, I was looking at radical rocks. There were fossils, minerals, and rocks and things. There were sand and hills and rings. The first thing I found was a geocrystals, quartz with no clouds. Agate was hot and the ground was hard, but the gems were there to be found. See, I've been through the desert, found a rock of no name, felt good to have in my hand. Yes, folks, we've got a ton of topics today. We've got the world's largest Tanzanite necklace. We've got a giant bird found in Europe, brand new of its kind. Birth and care of gemstones. The way to extract minerals from ore without chemicals that's been found. We got the fossils of Utah. Sunflower engagement ring. We've got a fish that was once extinct. It comes to life again, as it seems. We've got how aquamarine is mined. We've got a disappearing metal, zinc, very in-depth article on zinc, Apache tears. We'll even go into Rich Hill if we have some time about the famous gold discoveries in Rich Hill and so much more, guys and gals. Um, Thank you for being patient. We're just so busy last week that we had to pass on doing the podcast but we're going to make up for it today with a ton of material interesting stuff local things fossils some stars in the news and of course lots of gym rock and minerals information so let's get right into it i want to thank you guys for tuning in Thank you for going to RadicalRocks.com. Scrolling down to the bottom, you can get connected with all our social media. We've got YouTube videos, podcasts, a few blogs, lots of ways to get connected in our community that has amassed uh, thousands of members, and you have lots of choices. Well, the Orange Belt Mineralogical Society uh, gave their meeting reminder which included field trips so if you're in the southern california area know that this is a great club with others that we featured they went to the coaheef mine for cave onyx they've got quite a bit of pictures there this coaheef cave onyx also known as cave popcorn is a stalactite found in the coaheef caverns in the mojave desert It consists mostly of calcite and oregonite. They believe that these periods grew as far back as the Jurassic period. It will glow a fluorescent green or orange underneath a UV light. The Coaheef Cavern is not open to the public. This material has become extremely rare. The trip was only $20 in advance. It buys you a five-gallon bucket of rock. We're not being sponsored by them. We're just bringing this to your attention in case you want to add this to your collection. Additional buckets of rocks can be purchased for $20 a bucket or $10 a half bucket. They need at least 12 people for these trips when they do it. 
They did uh, go, I believe, last week. You want to bring with you a lot of good stuff when you go on the trip. Water, snacks, sunscreen, hat, gloves, knee pads, digging tools, rock hammer, and buckets. Coaheef Onyx. They've got some great pictures of these finds. What it looks like when it's cut. Really nice stuff, folks. Really nice. So you may want to go get connected with the Orange Belt Mineralogical Society, the OBMS, and get connected with some of these field trips by all means while they're still available and you can go to these areas and collect. Now, some interesting information in the fossil news. We've got quite a bit on rocks, minerals, gems, and a few fossils there is an 8mm fossil of the giant sea lizard that shows the diversity of life before asteroid hits. According to Smith Mary, or Precious Smith, on May 14th in Nature World News. You can find that at natureworldnews.com. Just look that up. This giant dinosaur was a reptile that lived in the ocean. Like it said, 8 millimeters long, so we're talking well over 20, 25 foot long creature here. A marine lizard with giant rows of teeth, having hundreds of teeth. This includes some 27 different species, I believe, of uh, 13 different species, excuse me, from Morocco, identified from this period of these giant reptiles. Now these could be related, they believe, to Komodo dragons, snakes, and other creatures that are now alive that can be found living in these areas. Interesting article on that for our fossil fans. Now this fish is extinct, but now it's not. So again, our friends in the scientific community are always having to change what they tell us about this fish, which they believe dated back 420 million years and uh, long thought to be extinct, and here it is. They have found it. It predates the dinosaurs, they say. It's extinct fossil fish thought to have lived 420 million years ago, found alive by Nahima Shackleton, written in the Unilad at unilad.co.uk. It's U-N-I-L-A-D dot C-O-U-K. This creature was quite large. They have a live one here that they found. These are found uh, off the coast of South Africa and uh, off of Madagascar. And these creatures live quite deep, several hundred feet in the water. Uh, 322 feet to 490 feet they below believe below the surface. A particular type of net fishing is turning these creatures up. So now they're talking about uh, restricting some of that type of fishing to protect these fish. And it's a uh, Coleocanith, if I'm pronouncing that right. Very prehistoric looking creature with a bony looking structure for a head quite thick. Uh, this fish could get at least, the one they have in the picture is at least probably four feet long 
it looks like it weighs a good 50 pounds. Good size fish there. Beautiful. So here we are discovering things that are extinct, and yet they're not. Now here's all the rage. Sunflower engagement rings. That caught my eye. This was at Brides.com. 15 sunflower engagement rings that burst with beauty by Robin Raven on the 14th. They've got some pictures of these rings, and basically what they are is the using this halo or double halo. Now, typically you think of a big diamond in the middle with the halo around the middle. Now, it doesn't have to be done that way to be considered a sunflower ring. It could be one big rock. It could be several little ones in the middle for the center of the flower. Some of them actually have petals that are dimensioned out or they're just round like the traditional halo. But apparently this is quite the rage. Celebrities like Katy Perry, uh, Nikki Reed love the floral design as well. They love yellow gold floral halo rings. They have a, uh, Reed has an engagement ring that resembles a flower. And they feel this ring is a romantic nod to an old heir, allowing for a big look in a delicate and charming way. So you can check these out if you want. They are quite pretty. You will see those at your local jewelers. Now in the Oakland Press, we see that local artists are turning everyday stones into precious gems. Uh, you just go to theoaklandpress.com, and there it is, by Deborah Kazupski, and she's written an article about these local folks here in Oakland, uh, Oakland, California, I would imagine. Um, but it's called Rochester Heel, uh, Hills, so I'm not 100% this is, is uh, Rochester um, in, near Oakland. I think it could be New York because they also talk about they were once a Detroit owner of a business, so maybe it's even in Detroit. Maybe there's a Rochester, Detroit. They don't put the state in these articles. Makes it kind of tough. But anyway, what they have here is she's working, uh, Valerie Lure of Rochester Hills is using a lapping machine to make some stones for a necklace here. And this is just a great little club here where you can get together and learn how to make gemstones. And she, this is what she makes is gemstones, rings, things like that. Um, they use this lapping equipment to grind sand and design stones. Then they can use uh, and make bezels or wire to put the stones inside and uh, do that type of uh, artistry. Let's see if there's anything else here. Not much else on that article. I like the human interest. I always try to share that with you guys as much as I can. Now a giant feathered bird that lived with the very last of Europe's dinosaurs is found by paleontologists. See in Europe there's not a lot of the giant birds that are found. So this does always make the news. It's in the tntribune.com. You can look it up on May the 16th and um, don't see a credit for a author here, but they've got a picture of the bone. They have decided this uh, bird was quite large, uh, some five to six feet tall, and uh, they believe it had feathers. It had a hollow bone. That, in fact, they only found one bone, just one. So they're speculating it's a new breed, but they can't be conclusive because they've only found one bone. Literally one vertebrae of this bird is all they found. 
And um, it looks like other birds that uh, they have found more bones to. So they have a picture of it here. And uh, it is a, a bird with teeth like uh, and feathers. Very traditional um, type of dinosaur. They found uh, this bird along the Pyrenees mountain ridge that goes into Europe on the Iberian Peninsula. At this time that this bird was here, they said that these mountains weren't here, they feel. So um, they're hoping to find more of these bones so that they can have some more conclusive answers about this bird, if it is an actual different variety, or if this is just a one-of-a-kind. Okay. The Joplin History and Mineral Museum is celebrating nine decades of showcasing the city's past. Well, the city's past was a rich one of minerals and gems. At four, spelt out uh, the letter four, fourstateshomepage.com, the KSN uh, news uh, site there says the Joplin History and Mineral Museum is celebrating decades of showcasing the city's past. Now, this may be over by now. It was written by Ben Capture Nushiavinch on May the 15th. And this museum, some 90 years old, I believe it's in, um, um, oh gosh, can't think of it, over by Kansas there, uh, Missouri. It's Missouri, I believe, and it highlights their rich history of lead and zinc mining. Uh, it was a very important lead and zinc mining boom in those days. So they have all these wonderful specimens and history. There's a video you can watch where they talk about the museum and the event. So if you're in the area, that might be something you want to check out, that museum. How about a new way of mining? Now, if you're familiar with mining for minerals like gold, silver, things like this, a lot of times in order to get these minerals out of the hard rock ore, uh, they have to leach them out with dangerous chemicals such as cyanide and uh, acids and things like that. Now, if you go to mining.com, the article's there, from digging to electrical fields, New Technique to Extract Metals from Hard Rock Ore by Valencia Roots Leotode on May the 16th. Now, what this does is very interesting. In my trade, I take care of buildings, boilers, um, emergency generators, things like that, chillers, HVAC. I'm very diverse on mechanical equipment. And with the new green uh, efforts and the effort to reduce the particulates in the atmosphere, the government has required that these boilers and these generators burn much, much cleaner. So industry has had to try to find innovative, innovative ways to make this happen. Um, they can make new burners that burn cleaner. They have scrubbers and things like that. They can reburn uh, fuel that's been burnt to get extra um, clean out of it. They do these things. Um, they add other gases and minerals sometimes. They use catalysts. Um, but one technique that's interesting, and I got to meet some of the gentlemen that uh, got to, were some of the first companies to really use this, old generators for hospitals and buildings, emergency generators, where they're required, they have to have these emergency generators, are very expensive to replace. And um, just getting the huge diesel 
gas whatever engines out of a facility and putting new ones in is an undertaking and then still maintaining services to the building so these innovators have come in where they can build this on the stack the discharge stack of the generator and it it uses electrostatic just like when you rub a balloon and uh, you put in your hair and your hair sticks to it right or a piece of paper electrostatically sticks to you this electrostatic uh, puts positive and negative charges into um, it puts charges into the minerals that are going past it and then when it gets to another stage it draws and tracks them. You can buy these in your house. They'll actually attract mold and dust and pollen and things like that. People who have allergies really love electrostatic air filters. They use the same principle. Well, they're finding that they can use a similar process here to collect the minerals out of these mines. Now, they're just experimenting with these, but uh, it's looking quite promising. A uh, wonderful way to get more rocks and minerals out of the ore without having to use all these chemicals here. And they go into some uh, length to describe this. I thought it was very interesting. Mining.com, digging to electrical fields if you want to check that out. Now, what about a beautiful tanzanite necklace with over 700 carats of beautiful dark blue purplish tanzanite? One of the most limited gemstones, this particular type of uh, zircon, um, to be found. To be found, right? It's in the East African magazine, the East, and it's theeastafrican.co.ke. It was uh, written by Rosencran, uh, or excuse me, the photo was by Kara Matu, and the author is. Kara Matu as well, and she has a beautiful picture of this beautiful Tanzanite necklace. They are making these things, uh, she's making these uh, from her history of being a fourth generation Tanzanite, and it is quite popular. These are going to be sold for a ton of money. Her jewelry design skills are self-taught, born of her passion in fine art. Her contemporary design of clean-cut lines and African gemstones are purchased by clients across the world. 700 carats of these beautiful gems wrapped around your neck. Could you imagine that? All the attention the ladies would get. All right. Gemstone enthusiasts gather at Sunset Plaza Mall. This uh, probably happened this last weekend at North Nebraska Rock and Mineral Show at the North Fork Sunset Plaza. A great time for rock hounds there at that show. So if you're there, you'll want to tune into that and uh, not miss out on it the next time it comes around. Now, I just got that email yesterday, so I don't know why they send these out so, so late. How would you like to find some fossils in Utah? Well, I saw the title of this article. I was quite excited. It said, where to find fossils in Utah uh, at abc4.com. I was really disappointed that it didn't really give a lot of location. It was written by Reem Ekram. And what they do is they talk about a couple here. John and Brenda Bell, who found a four-foot fossilized bone while hiking near the Arches National Park. So yeah, you can find them there, but you aren't allowed to dig them. 
and uh, you are not supposed to move them. You will get credit for finding it. You take pictures of it, you give them the location, and um, they will document that you were the one that found it. That's about it. You can't touch them. Now, you can get sea creatures and leaves and plants and things like that. Those are okay. Certain types of sea creatures like anamites, um, trilobites, things like that. But there are vertebrates in Utah, including dinosaurs, fish, turtles, and mammals such as mammoths and musk oxen. And of course, we know that uh, the T-Rex has been found there, several of them. So according to the Utah Geologist Society and the Bureau of Land Management, the Forest Service, they do allow some fossil collecting, but uh, you need to categorize where you found it. Uh, you need to make sure you know who owns the land. Um, you cannot take these bigger bones, and that is pretty much it. All right, let's move on to the next one. Jewelry, birth. The Birth and Care of Gemstones by Loreen Longney. This can be found at jewelrybusiness.com. Let me get a swig of coffee. All right. They have a picture here of a lot of beautiful cut gemstones, every color of the rainbow to be found. And it goes into birthstones. So it's not really the birth of stones so much. They talk about birthstones, and apparently they feel that the habit or the uh, beginning of collecting stones and wearing them for the birth uh, month is tied to uh, German uh, origination in the 1560s, according to GIA. Now, they have a list here of all the gemstones and what month. Of course, we've got June coming up here, which is pearl, alexandrite, and moonstone. Um, well, we're in May, which is emerald or other beryls and chalcedonies, but June's coming up, so we want to prepare for that. So it talks about these stones, um, what they stand for, uh, and so on and so forth. And it has a nice little article here on caring for your birthright and how to care for the gemstones such as topaz, corundum, diamonds, alexandrite, spindle, amethyst, um, gemstones that have a hardness of at least seven other gemstones such as moonstone, opals, turquoise, and tanzanite, and pearls are not as hard. Zinc or zircon rather um, is considered durable, but it's not tenacious because um, could have water in it. You have to be careful which ones of these stones you use steam on because some of them can fracture or break. Um, so you want to make sure that you are cleaning them properly. I don't think you can go wrong with just a mild soap and water and a soft brush on these gemstones. But when it comes to using steam, be very careful because opals will break. A lot of these stones will break. It's not real great for turquoise. You don't want to do that. Liberty Arts... Magnet students learn about rocks, minerals, and fossils thanks to the Allen County Museum. This was written by Stacy Myers Cook. Can be found at hometownstations.com. Again, another article that doesn't say where it came from. Uh, this, there's a lot of Allen counties, so oh, I think it's Ohio though, because it says here that the state gym is uh, Flint which I think is Ohio. They talk about there's fossils, footprints of mammoths, 
all kinds of classes and things that you can take part in. There's several different videos here that go into that about scavenger hunts that can be done with the kids to find out about minerals, rocks, and things of this sort. So sounds like a really good class. There's several videos there you can watch at hometownstations.com. Compelled to pick up rocks at the Moultrie News at postandcourier.com, you can read Tom Poland's article about his love of rocks, how he started collecting them as a youth, um, how he became a serious collector, um, how some of us are not just collectors, but we barter, sell, we grind and polish rocks into jewelry and other items. We have them all over our house. We are crazy. We go to swap meets. We go pay and dig. He was very, very um, fond of Graves Mountain in Lincoln County, Georgia. And also, um, he said that at this gathering that they went to, a lot of people came from, from um, oh, Atlanta, Georgia, I think it was, to go to this April Rock and Swap dig that they have there at the Graves Mountain in Lincoln County, Georgia. So this is a great event. The Graves Mountains is a wonderful place to dig. There is a lot of things there. We've talked about it before. Kyanite, which is a blue silica material. We have um, many other minerals that come with that. Uh, quartz, of course, hematite, uh, barite, sulfite, muscovite, pyrite, uh, and many others. Iridescent hematite, um, lazulite, rudel, all kinds of things can be collected there at this area. He does say you can't pick up in California rocks and it's illegal. I would say that's not entirely true. There was some areas set aside by, I believe, Diane Feinstein. She did allow some areas to remain for rock collecting. There's a list of those that can be found on the state website for um, rocks and minerals, I believe. And you can look that up. I've seen it. So luckily, uh, quite a few spots were set back for casual rock hounding. Um, but if you are going past that, they do enforce it. They will check your buckets. Um, they are out there periodically. So make sure and follow the rules. Celebrities in the news. Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, Kate Ridgers, wows in a white gown and gemstone face mask as she and husband enjoy a date in L.A. at the DailyMail.com, DailyMail.co.uk. She has this uh, black uh, face mask here, you know, that we're all supposedly have to wear to be able to come out of the house. Now, her husband doesn't have one on, strangely, but uh, she's got one on, and all these gemstones are in it. And... Um, yeah, yeah. Um, it says uh, her and her husband were out there showing off this uh, Ryan, this gemstone mask, and uh, mentions that she's married to her stepdad. Bizarre. Okay, on to the next one. Only in Hollyweird. NASA Mars Perseverance rover finally examines the red planet's. Jezero crater for signs of life by Aubrey Clark 
And you can find that at sciencetime.com. And there they are. They're on Mars. They're busy tooling around, looking for life. So far, they have not found anything conclusive. Of course, they did feel that they found a mineral that only appears when water evaporates. So they feel that they've definitely found signs that there was water there at one time. We read about that before. They're concentrating on sand, silk, clay, or mud that would give possible signs of past life. They're looking for micro uh, bacterias and any type of organisms like that that might be found in these type of minerals. They are finding igneous rocks, which help them come up with a time stamp of when different things happened on the Earth from a geological standpoint. They have found these little crystals that I told you in mudstones that were likely once at a lake bottom, they feel, and that's how they formed as the water evaporated. These crystals would have formed, and let's see what they find. That's all I really had on NASA news, so I thought I would share that with you. How is aquamarine mined? Beautiful, sparkling aquamarine looks like ocean water on a tranquil beach in the South Pacific, right? Now, if you go to recentlyheard.com, how is aquamarine mined by Raj0540 is given the credit of writing this. It says that most of it's done by hand. Um, They patiently collect gemstones there in open pit mine. They'll scrape a layer and then just start digging through and see what they can find. They will sometimes contain uh, aquamarine roughs that need to be split open. Fiery Fires are set besides the giant boulders. Um, blasting the rocks with dynamite is rarely done because this would damage the minerals. So this heated up rock um, could be cooled rapidly or split easier with hammers, chisels, picks, and axes. Then the aquamarine is gathered as the crystals are freed from this rock. Um, A lot of this rock is thought to be a Precambrium metamorphic rock. It contains mineral-rich crystals such as quartz, garnet, mica, feldspar, uh, and other precious gemstones. The light bluish gem of the sea aquamarine is one of them. These pegmatite veins that are present in this metamorphic rock generally are sheared and vary in thickness from 10 millimeters to 40 millimeters. In the center of the pegmatite is usually massive, fractured and banded. And uh, these are how they have to dig this apart and get in there to get these rocks apart. They avoid the use of toxic materials like uh, cyanide and mercury, which are used in the gold and silver mining in some areas, and uh, they mine these mostly by hand. Beautiful aquamarine pulled out of the rocks and stones. This is mined a lot in uh, South America and also in Africa, different countries around the world. You can even find it in the United States in some areas. Now let's talk about our friends at Rock and Gym Magazine, Zinc, the mysterious case of the disappearing metal. I subscribe to Rock and Gym, and I get their email, which is free. They send out a newsletter. You can get that, too. 
It's rock, the letter N, jim.com. You can look this up. Think Zinc, the mysterious case of the disappearing metal. There's a beautiful specimen here that is uh, very um, like lead looking with uh, yellow. It is obviously chunky, crystalline, kind of cubed, squared, hackish look to it. Uh, again, our friend Bob Jones wrote this article. Such a wealth of information, Mr. Bob Jones. He says, uh, This metal ranks as the fourth most abundant metal after iron, aluminum, and copper. But unlike copper, iron, and lead, zinc is never found in its natural state. It's so reactive that science have a really hard time locating pure zinc so they can study it. Zinc has been around for and in use for over 5,000 years. Of course, it's been around since the beginning of Earth. But uh, scientists cannot isolate zinc because it rarely forms in compounds all by itself. And the problem with zinc is it's so chemically active that it does just kind of dissolve or react or disappear um, even with oxygen. Zinc is so elusive, scientists um, can have a hard time producing it in its purest form and uh, they would typically only see it in their furnace um, they would look in there and and actually it would be gone there would only be unwanted residue where's the zinc there's a beautiful picture of holdenite which is a rare zinc mineral from sterling hill new jersey um, the residual from the furnace of trying to get the zinc out it weighed a lot less. The zinc seemed to disappear. Scientists, all they had to do to look for the zinc was go look up the chimney. There it was. It vaporized in the heat of the reaction, drifted up into the chimney, combined with oxygen, and coated the walls of the chimney as a white zinc oxide. Mystery found. There it was. So the powder was not pure zinc. It could still be processed more, but at least there it was. Um, today you can buy a lot of interesting specimens, yellow-green zinc specimens, um, are found with crystals, luxuri luxurious, richly colored fluorescent. Uh, they do fluorescent brilliantly in, uh, when they can be found in a spiky form. Looks kind of like a... Um, What's that sea creature called? Uh, urchin, sea urchin. The word of zinc comes from a German word, zinky, which means tooth. So it can look kind of like a tooth, too, when it forms in certain crystals and shapes. Um, let's see what else we have to say. There's a beautiful sample of a spray of crystals of Coetigite from the Ojula mine in Mapima, Durango, Mexico. And that is from the Arkenstone Gallery of Fine Minerals, if you want to check that out. They talk about the history of zinc um, and how it was used. Talk about the atomic number, number 29. Uh, is copper and then 30 is zinc so zinc has just one more proton than copper um, makes it very electrically balanced uh, they've got a beautiful sample here which is a kind of a iridescent green which is atomite zinc arsenate 
So it's rare, sounds like poisonous, sounds like arsenic, but it says arsenate um, found in Mampia, Mexico. Um, this is where zinc substitutes for copper in a process called cementation. Copper and zinc compounds are melted in a furnace. Zinc atoms are released. They immediately combine with copper atoms to form brass. Early metallurgists and chemists had a real problem extracting pure zinc from free ions of zinc. They had to go through quite a process uh, getting it out of the chimney, getting the crystals out of the chimney, and then they could use those to make the brass. There's another beautiful specimen here, a rare zinc mineral, Hopite found at Broken Hill uh, in Rhodesia, now Zambia, which is from the Brandy Collection. Bob Jones has a beautiful picture of that here, another zinc ore. It looks like little yellow cubes of different sizes all stuck together, uh, real pretty. Also, zinc deposits in Franklin, New Jersey, in the tri-state area of Oklahoma, Kansas, and Missouri, are popular areas for collecting specimens. In the tri-state tri area, there is sporadolite uh, with galena, uh, cal copperite, calcite, fluorite specimens in the Franklin Sterling Hill deposits. Uh, other New Jersey deposits are known as a major source of fluorescent zinc minerals. These feature crystals that vary of uh, hemormorphic, mimetite, geothite, limonite, uh, extracted from the Ojovli mine in Mampia, Mexico, Durango, Mexico. Um, lots of beautiful pictures here. This one has these little um, needle crystals kind of spiraling out uh, with the yellow kind of hacky, cubish forms of uh, yellow within it. And then uh, finally, another rare mineral, the hoposite that we talked about, is a zinc phosphorus hydrate. This one uh, looks kind of like an agate when it's cut in half, kind of looks like a, like a tree ring or something, has these rings within rings like petrified wood. Um, this is quite beautiful, honey, um, yellow to dark um, brown, Varying colors and ridges. Um, these are very collectible. Hard to find if you can find them. And then I won't tell you any more about the article. You can check it out. There's more information. Um, Smithsonite and other zinc specimens that can be found at different mines are talked about here. It goes into more articles. If you're interested in zinc, that is an interesting mineral. Um, that many specimens come from the United States and around the world. Now, what about dino bone? <coughs> dino bone is quite beautiful. Um, this can be collected from all around the world. Um, I have posted some nice pictures of some dino bone on our website at MeWeep. Also, moss agate. Rock and Jim magazine, what to cut? Caddy's Sand Canyon Moss Agate. If you go to our videos on YouTube, we went to the Caddy Mountains. 
Um, I did find some uh, moss agate that looks quite a bit like this. I found some tricolored moss agate there as well. You may want to check out that video. There's a beautiful cabbage on here that's kind of free-handed to a somewhat of a teardrop shape. And uh, Russ Kenyuth wrote the article here about this wonderful collecting spot in the Mojave Desert where agates can be found, a variety of uh, plume agates, fire, flame agates rather, and moss agates, tricolored, and many other varieties that can be found. He's got a picture of uh, a couple cuts here that he did of this moss agate. It's a reddish orange with a little bit of yellow uh, hints here and there. It talks about um, these slabs, if they, you know, preparing these for cutting, there can be some pits and things like that that you might want to deal with. You might want to look for the better piece. You might want to use epoxy. I found much of the stone to not need any work. Um, but yeah, sometimes you can find some with vugs and pits and fractures, and you can clean that up. He mentions here stabilizing the material in a vacuum chamber, which we are going to do a video on that eventually. Excuse me, that's where you would clean it with acetone and fill the spaces with some epoxy of some sort. And we'll go into that. And then you will shape it with about an 80 grit wheel. Go down to 140, 220, 280, and on all the way to a 1400 grit wheel. So the higher the grit, the softer it is. So you start with a, you know, 180 grit, whatever, to shape it. You're really cutting that stone rapidly. Um, there is a risk if your stone is weak that you can fracture it. If you're using softer materials than agate and, and jasper and things like that, you definitely want to start with uh, higher grit on the on the uh, the size of it. Okay, so there's pictures here that talk about how to finish it off. If you want a mirror finish, you want to use serenium oxide, which is the white powder, and uh, but you could also use the iron oxide as well, which is a little cheaper than the serenium oxide um, for agates. That works just fine. How about Apache Tears in the Rockin' Gym? Again, this came through the um, the email that they send me for free. Tumbling Talk, Tearless Apache Tears by Tony Ron. And they talk about how to um, get some of these Apache Tears going by Lee Wallace here, it says. So it has one, has a, I guess, an editor and then whoever wrote it. So the characteristics of Apache Tears, this is obsidian, which is a natural volcanic glass. Um, you can buy just a basic black obsidian, very affordable. I think I sell like a whole big box. It's like 20-something pounds of it for like 30 bucks or something like that. I had a few boxes that went out that cheap. You go to gym shows and stuff, you can get just plain black obsidian, very affordable. You start getting the fancy obsidians like the rainbow or the silver sheen or the gold sheen or the snowflake and those other types, then yeah, it's going to cost more. But just the black is very affordable. And Apache tears are typically the black obsidian. 
Um, you can find it in other variations as well, but the black is what's most commonly seen. So what would happen, my grandpa would tell me that uh, after the rain, the rain would dry up quite quickly on the desert floor, but the rocks would still be wet and the Apache tears, these obsidians that had rolled around the desert floor and become smooth and round, would shine like drops, look like uh, wet drops of uh, water. And these were supposedly tears from their forefathers. Also, when you would walk in the evening, if you had the light shine um, over your shoulder or, you know, and, and they would light up as you walk and see them on the top surface uh, of the land. Um, now, if you're going down into a hill, they don't shine up as good. But, you know, you got to think of the the lay of the land so that the sun is actually shining through the gemstone. So however you can walk to see the sun shine through the gemstone uh, when it's low on the horizon, this is a good time to look for these Apache tears or again after a rainstorm. So tumbling these, um, this is kind of like <coughs> you're going to make your own or smooth some out. Um, you know, if you're going to break these up, remember this is glass <laughs> you have really got to um, protect yourself with a full face shield, um, gloves. You know, you got to break this up in a, a bag of some kind, like a, a old pillowcase or something. And um, then you would take and wash these bits and pieces and you use a 600 grit about, uh, to, it says to 10 pounds of tears, you need six grit, <clears throat> excuse me, 600 grit, 10 pounds of tears, add a cup and a half of clean leather bits and water to full. Use a vibrating tumbler, uh, add the Apache tears, remove the leather. It gives you all the instructions on how to do this step by step. Um, it takes uh, about a week. Between each process, it looks like there's a total of five steps. The last step says wash the tears again, remove the leather bits, tumble for one week with a tablespoon of serenium oxide and two and a half to three-fourths cup of clean leather bits, adding water again to make a gravy-like slurry. And actually, there's a sixth step. Wash the tears one more time, remove the bits, tumble for two hours with one-half cup of clean leather bits to about a half tablespoon of detergent. The results are highly polished, glassy Apache tears. So in the article, he shows really some rough Apache tears <coughs> that uh, he bought through Kingsley North at www.kingsleynorth.com. You buy these kind of rough um, Apache tears, and by the time you're done, they're beautiful and shiny. I mean, you could use them for jewelry, for keystones, things like that. All right? Sorry for the cough. My throat's getting dry. All right, if you're still with me, I think we've done all the latest news. We will go into Rich Hill. The History of Arizona's Most Amazing Gold District, written by M. Catherine Combrey, Ph.D., Chris T. Golson, Bachelor's of Science, Danette S. Loretta, Ph.D., Eric B., Melanchory, Ph.D., Rich Hill, The Amazing History of Arizona's Most Amazing Gold District. If you are into gold, 
this is something you're going to want to check out. Now, we've skimmed through the article and highlighted some really great information. There's still a lot here that you will want to get, so I recommend if you are into gold, Rich Hill's a great area. Get this book. Add it to your collection. We're going to be talking about how important books are and maps and things like that periodically through our discussions. If you want to take your rock hounding and your mineral collecting to the next level, besides just going with the club or just going with the rock hounding books, stick with us because we've got some really good ideas and you're going to find stuff that nobody else has. All right. The next era of gold mining, we've been doing this series for, I guess, a month, maybe a little over a month on the Rich Hill Gold area. But this area um, next discussed in the book, Chapter 7, goes through 1928 to 1970. And there was a lot of mining during the Great Depression. Now, the Great Depression happened between 1928 and uh, really was kind of a tough time all the way up into the early 40s where people were gold mining some of these areas by hand. There just wasn't any work. So people did what they could. Back in those times, $2 was considered a good day's pay. So people would go out and work these placers. When gold was some $20, $30 an ounce, um, they would work all day long and try to get about $2 worth of gold. About 0.05 ounce of gold per cubic yard would leave you with about 0.01 of gold uh, or somewhere between 0.015 and 0.011. They would be able to earn about $2 a day processing 10 cubic yards of gravel through a wet sluice in one day. All right. Um... The government did raise the price of gold to $35 in 1934, um, and that put a lot of people back to work. They started going to some of the old mines and working with a, a rocker. Um, a rocker would use less water. You wouldn't have to have quite as much water as you do a sluice box, and that would allow people to get the gold out of these areas. A lot of hard work. A lot of hard work. Some of the areas uh, that were mined around was the Tin Cup, the Octavian Mine, and other areas. These operations typically consisted of one or two people to dig the pay dirt, one person to operate the dry washer. Um, the dry washer would use air and blow up through the bottom. And uh, if you were really um, doing well, you might have a motorized system, but most people had to pump these bellows at the bottom of the dry shaker by hand or turn a wheel. They would pump them up and down or turn a wheel that would pump up and down and blow air up through the bottom, blowing the lighter stuff off, trapping the gold in uh, riffles, and uh, letting the lighter materials roll off the top. Not an easy way to prospect, um, even if you have an engine. This is a very dusty process. I've done it myself. Um, it is a good way to go find gold where other people, um, you know, dredges are fun. You're near the water, and, you know, you can camp, and it's cool, and 
typically just much more enjoyable to dredge. But dry shaking is much harder, dirtier, dusty work, and uh, most people uh, can't stand to do it that much. But it's a good way to find some gold. Um, testing Weaver Creek placers in 1932 with a sluice and recirculating water to conserve the precious water was done. They got the water uh, and samples from a shaft nearby at the Devil's Nest Mine in Rich Hill in the vicinity of Decision Corner. And they have a picture here that was courtesy of the Engineering and Mining Journal. George Uptown of Staten. Uh, Staten and Uptown area was another area where gold mining was done here. Um, by 1959, these areas became pretty much a ghost town at that time. Just was not enough money, not enough gold, not enough interest to keep people mining anymore. Now, Chapter 8 talks about Rich Hill pioneers and interviews with Clyde Thompson and Fred Lehman. Um, several different uh, discussions here with the history about the post office in the area. Uh, the old ghost town there, Main Street, Octave, Arizona with Lion's Peak in the background. Pictures of these old areas. Discussions about these old areas. Um, the mines, the shafts. There's diagrams showing the geological area of Rich Hill um, that you can look at. There's topographical maps here showing different mines, where they're located. It's certainly a great resource if you were to go in the area. Um, maybe these mines are claimed up, and that's fine. You'll see them posted with the white markers, and uh, you definitely don't want to go on those areas. But you can also see the ravines. Not all these areas are going to be claimed up. <clears throat> you should be able to find a spot there. <clears throat> where you can uh, dig down below some of these claimed areas and get some of the free gold that's there. Um, in fact, they've got a picture here where uh, below the Rich Hill area and the Potato Patch and the Devil's Nest area where the red soil is, where 15 gold nuggets weighing over 1.5 ounces were found at that area. An L-shaped nugget, about a half ounce, Ten smaller nuggets totaling a little over a half ounce and four nuggets totaling a little over a half ounce with the largest weighing a third of an ounce were found there. Um, they're not saying how they did it. I would think metal detectors. Also, they found a two-pound what they call tongue nugget that Jan and Jess Harkins found in two, the year 2000 with a mine lab uh, SD 2200 detector. This beautiful golden quartz specimen has a very um, strong resemblance to the octave mine uh, found near the Lucky Linda claim and uh, it's beautiful loaded with gold um, big enough to fit in the palm of your hand. Another nugget here four and a half ounces found at the Devil's Nest area down a one and a half foot deep found with a mine lab mineral detector the sd2100 also over eight ounces of gold nuggets found at various places around the rich hill area the largest nugget 
to the right weighs over two and a half ounces. There's just beautiful pictures after picture of these wonderful nuggets found in this area in modern days. Another four nuggets found at Rich Hill area with a MineLab SD2100 detector. Wow, two and a half ounce nugget, a one and three quarter ounce, one and a third ounce nugget from the Devil's Nest area. Another catch of eight nuggets found with a Mineral Lab SD2100 uh, near the Potato Patch, Weaver Creek Johnson Mine area, Octavian Mine area. A specimen of gold and quartz from the Devil's Nest area. About a half ounce of gold is in that. It was found just a few inches. Um, the specimen's four inches by two inches. Another specimen of quartz from Devil's Nest containing one and a tenth ounce of gold found with the Mineral Lab SD100 a few inches on the hill below quartz gold vein. Wow. Uh, another oxidized sulfite ore found about the size of a quarter in diameter about two inches long with uh, hematite gold and silver other samples of oxidized um, sulfites red and brown with hematite and pyrite uh, native golds occasionally found in this type of rock uh, this type of gold ore yields about a half an ounce of gold per ton and 0.2 ounces of silver per ton. There was an old church, an old graveyard pictured at some of these areas that you can look at. The Butterfield Stage Stop, um, where Charles Statton was gunned down, now serves as Statton's main office. Open House at Statton now serves bar, dance hall, meeting hall, and a place to conduct weddings. So you can still go there. Check that out, the Staten area. A lot of history there, a lot of fun. Definitely looked over, but uh, you know, that doesn't mean that uh doesn't mean that it's all over. They go through a lot of area uh people from the 70s that were here that are still mining. Uh, it goes up into 1978, the metal detecting history, evolution, and contribution to the Rich Hole uh Rich Hill Gold Rushes. From 1978 to today, um, we talked about some of those wonderful uh, nuggets that were discovered. Uh, some of these nuggets are up to 7.76 ounces, 2.5 ounce nuggets. Club members um, go there and have these uh, electronic gold rushes. These have been happening from 1995 to 2002 and even on into today where people are finding these wonderful uh, nuggets and gold. You can still prospect there, but you have to be very, very careful. Um, so much of the area is mined off. There's dry wash tailings, mine dumps, all kinds of areas where you can actually go prospecting. And uh, we will talk about this in um, our next episode we can talk about some of the modern day mining techniques that are taking place that will probably be our last discussion on this series on the rich hill gold area guys i want to thank you for staying with me we're almost at an hour right now i want to thank you for going to radicalrocks.com sharing our website sharing our podcast and videos we do want to keep rock hounding alive and we need your help to do it 
Um, we don't directly ask for donations. We have accepted them, but just contributing by being a part of our social media, it really helps. Liking and sharing is uh, all we really ask of you guys in return for all the research we do to try to get something educational, informational out there to you each and every week, except last week. <laughs> Remember, rockhounds don't die, they petrify. <laughs>